Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to an Egyptian history podcast mini-episode, Happy Valentines. A story of lovers, marriage, and all that comes with human relationships. Music by Michael Levy and Keith Zizzer. If I am not beside you, Where will you set your desire? If you do not embrace me and seize the moment, whom will you approach for pleasure? Would you depart because you have the urge to eat? Are you a man who is more devoted to his stomach? Would you depart in your fine clothing, while I am left with nothing but the bedsheets? Would you leave me for the sake of drink? Then take my breast, for its milk wells up for you. More wondrous is a single day in your embrace than a hundred thousand upon the earth. The Papyrus Harris number 500, New Kingdom. To write love poetry in ancient Egypt was an uncommon skill. Few had the literacy needed to write, and even fewer had both the literacy and the creativity to compose. But for those who did, immortality in verse has been their reward. The love poems of ancient Egypt are difficult to translate and understand by our standards. The Egyptians use different metaphors to us, and different analogies. So when they compare a lover to something equally valuable, the comparison may be wasted on us today. We have to use our imagination. The poem I just read is from the perspective of a woman, but since the literacy rate of Egyptian women was minuscule, Many Egyptologists wager that such a poem was in fact written by a man, projecting himself into the eyes of an ideal lover. But to avoid confusion, I'm going to refer to the protagonist as she, just in case the Egyptologists are wrong, and just in case the author was a woman. Our lover continues. Your love has merged completely with my body. Make haste to see your beloved, like a horse in the open field, like a falcon diving down to the reeds. For heaven has bestowed its love like the course of an arrow, like the swiftness of a falcon. When a poet of Egypt talks about a falcon, they generally refer to the bird, but also to the god Horus, who took the form of a falcon when he hunted. The association imbues the love with the spirit of the divine. The author is filled with that blissful state which accompanies the start of an excellent new love. She even gets giddy. How intoxicating are the plants of my garden! The lips of my beloved are the bud of a lotus flower. Her breasts are mandrakes and her arms are ornate. Behold, her forehead is a snare of willow, and I am a goose. My hands are in her hair as a lure, held fast in that snare of willow. The protagonist, a woman, speaks of her lover as another woman, 
and yet we have no comparable evidence from ancient Egypt for the practice of homosexuality among females. Of course it occurred, you'd be mad to think that it didn't, but the odds of a female poet, who is also a homosexual woman, and whose work happens to have survived 3,000 years? Those are statistically some low odds. Still, benefit of the doubt and all that. In another poem, a man yearns for a woman who is apart from him. The love of my beloved is on the far shore of the Nile, but the Nile would engulf my limbs, for the waters are mighty, in full flood, and of crocodile lurks on the bank. But I shall go down to the water, and plunge into its waves. My heart is fearless on the flood, and I have found that the crocodile is like a mouse, and the surface of the water is like land to my legs. It is her love which empowers me, and will be for me a spell against the water, for I see my heart's beloved standing right before my face. Talk about being filled with enthusiasm. The poet thinks that he can best a crocodile, even walk on water just to reach his beloved. Would that love gave us such power. It would be a fascinating world. Love in ancient Egypt is difficult to pin down. Most of our surviving sources from the realm of the royalty, and loving relationships were rare among the aristocracy of ancient societies. Marriages were forged for convenience. Love grew later, if it ever did. Only the poorer folk, the commoners, were permitted to marry whomever they desired. And even then, things could be difficult. Meeting people is hard enough today, and we have 7 billion people around us, and technology making things a bit more straightforward. For the ancients, the dating pool was tiny. You maybe had the members of your village, and those of some towns nearby. If there was no one among them you cared for, tough beans. Now suppose you've met the object of your desire. Do you think it was easier for the Egyptians than it is for you to woo them? No way. Quote, I met Mehi driving in his chariot with his companions. Oh, I don't know how to get out of his way. Shall I pass casually by him? The river is the same as the road to me. I don't know where to put my feet. Oh, that you would come to me like a stallion of the king, chosen from among a thousand horses, the finest of the stable. The girl in question seems terribly vexed by her inability to attract her beloved's attention. That's a sword that cuts both ways in Egypt. Quote, For seven days I have not seen the beloved, and sickness has overcome me. My body has become heavy. If the chief physicians come to me, my heart is not satisfied with their medicines. The magicians? There is no help in them. My malady will not be diagnosed. But when I see her, then I will be well. When she opens her eyes, my body is rejuvenated. When she speaks, I am strong. When I embrace her, she banishes evil from me. But it has been seven days since she left me. Woe indeed to the heartsick. Yearning and failing love bedevil us all. If a man or woman desired to marry someone, the method was simple, although it bears some of the hallmarks of a Jane Austen-esque romance. Quote, it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Pride and Prejudice. Well, the Egyptian way seems to have been similar. There's not much specific evidence, but the gist of a marriage proposal seems to have been this. A man who had established himself with a household, and perhaps with land, or a stable occupation, would invite the object of his affections to move in with him. If she or he accepted, they formed a household together, 
and the relationship was now formal. That's it. No fuss, no muss. Just move in, and poof, we're married. Once married, the man was theoretically the head of the household, and his decisions were the final ones. But within that relationship, Egyptian morality did not permit abuse, and encouraged more proper behaviour. Quote, When you are a young man, and take yourself a wife, and are settled into your house, remember how your mother gave birth to you, and all her raising of you besides. Do not give her cause to reproach you, so that she lifts her hands to God, and he hears her lamentations. Do not supervise your wife in your household, if you know that she is capable. Do not say to her, Where is it? Get it for us, when she has already put it in the most useful place. I'm not so sure about this one. The most useful place isn't always the same place, according to two different people. Watch and be silent, so that you may recognize her talents. Although the man might be the master of an Egyptian household, his attitude should have been one of fairness and consideration. This was not just good socialising and good relationships, but also a religious obligation, for just and righteous behaviour was in accordance with a concept called ma'at, the metaphysical belief in order, truth, and justice within the cosmos. That which was right was ma'at, that which was false was evil. Within that dichotomy of good behaviour and evil behaviour, proper care for one's spouse was every partner's obligation. But suppose it didn't work out. What then? Well, no harm done. Egyptian couples seem to have divorced pretty easily, even on grounds as simple as, we do not get along. We don't know how they divided property, or if they did, but there don't seem to have been any complicated legal procedures or religious duties required to annul a marriage. A couple simply ceased to live together, and that was that. But marriages can also go wrong, and one story from ancient Egypt tells us a few things about the conflicts that could erupt when good relationships went bad. The story goes like this. Once upon a time there were two brothers, Anubis and Bata. They had the same mother and the same father. Anubis was the elder, and Bata the younger. Anubis had a wife and a house, and his little brother was like a son to him. Anubis made clothes for Bata, while Bata looked after the cattle in the fields, since it was his job to plough. Bata did the farm work, and Anubis provided for him. One day the brothers were in the fields, and Anubis said, We need seeds. Go and fetch them. Hurry. Bata entered the stable, and fetched a jug to fill with seeds. He was loading it up, when Anubis's wife approached him, saying, How much are you carrying? He said, Three sacks of emma and two sacks of barley, five in total. She said, There's great virility in you. I have been watching your daily work. She grabbed him and said, Come, let's spend an hour lying here together. It's to your advantage. I will make you fine clothes. Bata supposedly rejected the wife, saying, See here, you are like a mother to me, and your husband, my brother, is like a father to me. He has helped raise me. Why do you offend us so? Don't say such things again. He went into the field, but did not tell his brother what had happened. The wife was afraid, because she did not know if Bata would tell Anubis what she had done. So she pretended that she had been assaulted, and she said to Anubis, Your little brother Bata did this to me. He wanted me to lie with him, but I refused, and so he assaulted me. If you let him live, I will die. Well, 
This is obviously a bit of BS, but I suppose it's probably happened in more than one marriage. Anyway, Anubis goes nuts and nearly kills Bata, but Bata prays to the king of the gods, the sun god Ray, and begs for his assistance. Ray intervenes, and Anubis holds off long enough for Bata to speak with him and tell his side of the story. Anubis is convinced by his brother's words, and he returns home. In anger, he kills his wife and casts her body to the dogs. Then he sits down in mourning. At this point, the story goes a bit weird. The gods become involved, the pharaoh becomes involved, and eventually Bata inexplicably castrates himself to resolve the situation. So, yeah, that's a thing that happened in Egyptian storytelling. Why? Well, we'll get into that in a later episode. Such stories as this are very rare, and for the most part Egyptian men and women seem to have loved much the same as we do. They married, they had children, they grew apart, they divorced, they loved some more, and they endlessly fantasized over the members of the opposite sex. Their efforts were encapsulated by those poets, and I will leave off this episode with my favorite one. My beloved is unrivaled, there is none to equal her. She is beyond all women. Behold, she is like the star which appears at the beginning of a prosperous year. Exquisite is her splendor, gleaming is her complexion, brilliant are her eyes. Of pure lapis lazuli is her hair, her arms surpass even gold in loveliness, like lotus flowers are her fingers. She causes the necks of all men to turn and watch her, so charming are her movements as she strolls the earth, that she seizes my heart in her embrace. Everyone rejoices who embraces her, for he is the first among all lovers. My heart quickly takes flight, since I have remembered my love for you. It does not permit me to walk like an ordinary person, but it leaps from its proper place. Do not delay, go straight to their house, so my heart says to me every time I think of them. I worship the golden goddess, I adore her majesty, I exalt the mistress of heaven, and I make praises for Hathor. Celebration for my mistress. The Egyptian History Podcast is available on iTunes and all good podcasting apps. You can visit us on Facebook at www.facebook forward slash Egyptian Podcast or on twitter.com forward slash Egyptian Podcast. You can also find us at our websites egyptianhistorypodcast.com and egyptianhistory.libsyn.com. If you wish to donate to the podcast, you will find PayPal donate buttons on our website pages. If you just think the show is good and would like to leave a review, please feel free to do so on iTunes. We would love to hear what you think. As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.